0: My precious sweet Linda, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing good, Glenn. Are you ready for Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast today?
0: Sure am. We're looking at an old-time invitation hymn today.
1: Softly and Tenderly was written back in 1880 by Will Thompson.
0: It's a truly wonderful, heartwarming song portraying our Savior's heartbreak and longing to see His creation come to Him And simply trust him.
1: The melody moves the heart to listen to the beating and loving heart of Jesus.
0: Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling for you and for me. See, on the portals, he's waiting and watching, watching for you and for me.
1: Come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. Calling, O sinner, come home.
0: Why should we tarry when Jesus is pleading, pleading for you and for me? Why should we linger and heed not his mercies, mercies for you and for me?
1: Oh, for the wonderful love he has promised, promised for you and for me. Though we have sinned, he has mercy and pardon, pardon for you and for me.
0: Earnestly, tenderly, jesus is calling calling O sinner come home
1: softly and tenderly which was originally known as softly and tenderly jesus is calling is a classic invitation hymn from the 19th century the text was written and the tune was composed by will thompson who was a composer of gospel secular and patriotic songs this is a song which reminds us that we are saved by responding to the call of Jesus in the gospel to repent.
0: Will Thompson was born in East Liverpool, Ohio on November seventh, 1847. His father, Josiah Thompson, was a member of the Ohio State Legislature for two terms. He was educated at Mount Union College in Alliance, Ohio and at Boston, Massachusetts, Conservatory of Mu- Music, and later in Germany. His chief ambition was to write music for the people. And in this endeavor, he became eminent. His first song was composed in 1863, when he was 16 Christian church. Thompsons became a music director of, for the Methodist church, and later became a Presbyterian in 1891 when he remarried after the death of his first wife.
1: As a young man, Thompson sent a package of four songs to a publisher, asking payment of $100 for the package of four. The publisher responded with a counteroffer of $25, which Thompson declined. $100 in 1875 was the equivalent of $1,800 in 2007. When he couldn't get what he considered to be a fair price for his music, Thompson decided to go into business for himself. He started a music store in East Liverpool in association with his father's business and another outlet in Chicago. Then he went into the mail order business, selling sheet music and music books. Thomas Edison didn't invent the phonograph until 1877.
0: Thompson turned out to have a considerable business knowledge in due part to his father's influence and, in part, to undergraduate business degree. He, he marketed his music, in part, by sending copies to various minstrel shows, which were popular at the time, and he may have paid some of them to sing his music, a legitimate form of advertising at that time. He quickly became successful, and he was known as a millionaire Bard of Ohio. Prolific composers. what that means. He wrote one of his most popular songs, Gathering Seashells on the Seashore, in Ten Minutes. It sold 246,000 copies.
1: Even though he became quite rich, Thompson continued to live a life of service. He supported various civic and religious activities generously. He was also aware of the fact that small-town people had very little exposure to good music, so he loaded a piano on a horse-drawn wagon and went through small Ohio towns giving concerts of his music.
0: However, after a very successful career writing secular and patriotic music at age 40, Thompson turned to composing sacred songs and established the Will Thompson Company a profitable music publishing firm with offices in both East Liverpool and in Chicago, Illinois. Other well-known hymns by Thompson include Lead Me Gentle Home, Father, There's a Great Day Coming, Jesus is All the World to Me. In Chicago, he became a personal friend of revival evangelist Dwight Moody. His chief song director Ira Sankey softly and tenderly was soon widely used as an invitation song in the great evangelistic campaigns conducted by Moody and Sankey in both the United States and Great Britain.
1: Hymnologist Ernest Emerin told a story associated with this hymn when the world renowned lay preacher Dwight Moody Lay on his deathbed in his Northfield, Massachusetts home. Will Thompson made a special visit to inquire as to his condition. The attending physician refused to admit him to the sick room, and Moody heard them talking just outside the bedroom door. Recognizing Thompson's voice, he called for him to come to his bedside. Taking the Ohio poet-composer by the hand, the dying evangelist said, Will, i would rather have written softly and tenderly jesus's calling than anything i have been able to do in my whole life
0: undoubtedly many people grew up in the revival tradition that included the extending of an invitation. undoubtedly many people grew up in the revival tradition that included an extending of an invitation hymn a congregational hymn in the conclusion of a service that focused on those attending who may be called by the Holy Spirit to make either profession of faith or recommitment of one's life. In service of this nature, the direction of everything points to the sermon of this time and devotion.
1: The Rev. Carlton R. Young notes, This is a typical lullaby in the Gospel hymn tradition that characterizes jesus as a mother gently rocking and comforting a child this attribute contributes to the continuing popularity of this genre of religious songs that presents jesus as waiting caring and forgiving in intimate and for many compelling metaphors
0: perhaps revelation three twenty captured the spirit of the hymn behold i stand at the door and knock if any man hears my voice and opens the door I will come to him and will sup with him and he with me the patient jesus stands on the portals waiting and watching for you and for me
1: the second stanza takes a different approach how can we reject the pleading one who offers pardon the third stanza increases in urgency time is now fleeting the moments are passing shadows are gathering Deathbeds are coming. The final stanza returns to the theme of Jesus, who offers mercy and pardon for the sinner.
0: The genius of a gospel song is usually found in the refrain, and this one is no exception. The refrain extends the invitation to coming home four times in the melody and an additional two times in the accompanying lower voices.
1: Interestingly... Though Softly and Tenderly is the classic invitation hymn in the Revival tradition, the invitation to come home may also be seen as the invitation to join Jesus in heaven. Indeed, two examples attest to this. The hymn was used during the memorial service for assassinated civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. at Ebenezer Baptist Church in Atlanta on April 8, 1968. It was also a recurring song in The Trip to Bountiful, an Oscar-winning movie about an older woman in the 1940s who wants to return one last time to her girlhood hometown of Bountiful.
0: Known for his ability to never forget a tune or a text that he had in his mind, Thompson is quoted as saying, No matter where I am, at home or hotel, at the store or traveling, If an idea or theme comes to me, I deem worthy of a song. I jot it down in a verse. In this way, I never lose it. And at the end of his life, Thompson was in Europe with his family. But he fell ill, and he was forced to return home early. A few weeks after he returned home in 1909, Thompson passed away in Ohio
1: song was also featured in the films Softly and Tenderly was a recurring song in the trip to Bountiful in 1985 Oscar winning movie about an older woman in the 1940s. It was also featured in the film Urban Cowboy at the funeral of Buds played by John Travolta's uncle as well as on a funeral scene of the TV show True Blood. The hymn was also used during the funeral of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. in 1968.
0: Okay, Linda, let's turn our hearts a minute and think about what heaven's going to be.
1: Once in heaven, will people know and recognize those they knew on earth?
0: In heaven, we will know each other, including those that we knew on earth. Here's some evidence. Heaven will not reduce our mental capacities, but sharpen them, as we see in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. For now, we see through a glasses darkly but then we'll see face to face now i know in part but then i shall know even as i am known we will not be dumber in heaven but smarter scripture gives us no indication of a memory wipe that will cause us not to recognize our loved ones and others we've known
2: if
1: we wouldn't know our loved ones the consolation of afterlife reunion in First Thessalonians four fourteen through 18 would be non-existent. It reads, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are fast asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words.
0: After his resurrection... Jesus was not recognized at first on a few occasions. we see in john twenty fifteen Jesus said unto her, "Woman, why weepest thou, whom seekest thou? She was supposing him to be a gardener and said to him, Sir, if thou have borne him hence, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away and also in luke twenty four fifteen and sixteen and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned jesus himself drew near and went to them but their eyes were holden but their eyes were holding that they should not know him
1: this suggests some change in appearance after being with him a while his disciples suddenly recognized him and said in john 20:16 Jesus saith unto her, Mary, she turned herself, and saith unto him, Rabbanite, which is to say, Master. And then in Luke twenty four thirty one, and their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. This suggests that despite any outward appearance changed, the inner identity of the person may shine through, especially to eyes enlightened by heaven.
0: In Matthew 17, 1 through 4, at the Transfiguration, Moses and Elijah were recognized by the disciples, even though they were, weren't told who they were, and they couldn't have previously known what they looked like. This may suggest that we recognize instantly people that we've known but have never previously met perhaps as a result of individual personality emanating through their physical appearance even apart from this direct indications of scripture cited above and below it would logically follow that we would know our loved ones in heaven
1: the nature of love itself is abiding in a way that transcends death first corinthians thirteen thirteen says and now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity, our love. While we would no doubt love's interest in and choose not to recall many things that attracted us on earth, the shared experience of loving relationship forges a camaraderie parallel to that of soldiers who have served together in the trenches and who never forget what they experienced together in that foreign land. In heaven, will we have our own places to live?
0: Well, Jesus described heaven as having many rooms or dwellings and promised that he himself would go there and prepare a place for us. In John fourteen two and 3, says, In my house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, you may be also.
1: Like earthly cities or countries, heaven includes individual dwelling places, the plural rooms, not just the singular place. Heaven contains for believers a permanent inheritance, an unperishable estate specifically reserved for us. 1 Peter 1.4 tells us, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled, And that fadeth not away reserved in heaven for you when we are in heaven we will welcome others into our dwelling places jesus speaks of the shrewd servant's desire to use earthly resources so that people will welcome me into their houses
0: then jesus tells his followers to use worldly wealth our earthly resources to gain friends by making a difference in their lives on earth so that when it is gone, when life is over and the earth is over, you will be welcomed into your eternal dwelling, as it says in Luke sixteen nine. Our friends in heaven appear to be those we have touched in a significant way on the earth. They apparently have their own eternal dwellings. Luke sixteen nine suggests these eternal dwelling places. Of friends could be places to fellowship and stay in as we move about in our heavenly kingdom.
1: Will there be privacy in heaven?
0: The existence of our individual dwelling places implies privacy. We are also told Christ will give names, new names, to the righteous, known only to him, and them, Revelation 2.17 says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give a hidden manna, and will give him a, him a white stone, and on that stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it. This is a secret our private knowledge shared only between the private audience with God. There is every reason to believe that we will still have the ability to go directly to our Lord to talk to Him. Not just in corporate worship and private prayer, but personally.
1: Will there be private ownership in heaven?
0: One Christian author categorically states people won't own anything in heaven. He believes this will assure our equality. But what about the different dwelling places believers will have in heaven? Luke 16.4.9 says, I am resolved what to do, that when I am put out of the stewardship, that they may receive me into their homes. What about the treasures Christ commanded us to store up for ourselves in heaven? Matthew 6.20 says, But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. What about different crowns or rewards? god will hand out according to our work second corinthians five ten says for we must all appear before the judgment seat of christ that every everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that that he has done whether good or bad what about the fact we have an inheritance that will be given to us in heaven Colossians 3.24, we read, Knowing that our Lord, ye shall receive the reward of the inheritance. For you serve the Lord Christ. Doesn't the word inheritance mean something tangible that will will belong to us? Will the believer's crown be as much mine as it is his? Of course not. What about the white stone God promised to give to the overcomers with the new name written on it? And name no one else will know. Revelation 2.17, we read this. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh will I give to eat of a hidden manna and will give him a white stone and in the stone a new name written, which no man knoweth, saving he that receiveth it.
1: Will you and I have equal possession of those stones or names?
0: No. The one God gives you will be not be like the one God's. Uh, no, the one God gives you will be yours, not mine. The one he gives me, if I am an overcomer, will be mine, not yours. Is this on ownership wrong or selfish? Of course not. Ownership is never wrong when it's God distributing the possessions he wants you to, to own. Heaven is not a socialist utopia in which private ownership is evil. Materialism, greed, envy, and selfishness are sins. Ownership is not. Our different personalities, rewards, positions, and names in heaven not only speak to our individuality, but of how God, who loves us all, finds unique reasons to love us. I love my wife and my son, but I love different things about each of them.
1: Of course, God is the ultimate owner of all things. He owns not only all of heaven, but everything on earth. In Deuteronomy ten fourteen, we read behold the heaven and the heaven of heavens is the Lord's thy God the earth also with all that therein is and in first Chronicles 29 11 through 12 thine O Lord is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in heaven and in the earth is thine thine is the kingdom O Lord and thou art exalted as head above all both riches and honor come of thee and thou reignest over all and in thine hand is power and might and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all
0: the word goes on to include the land as in leviticus twenty-five twenty-three: the land shall not be sold forever for the land is mine for you are strangers and sojourners with me. And the animals, as in Psalms fifty ten 10-12, for every beast of the forest is mine, and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the fowls of the mountains, and the wild beasts of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell thee, for the world is mine, and the fullness thereof. And all the wealth and possessions of the people, as in Haggai 2 8. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, saith the Lord to the host. He owns not only the things, but all the people, as we see in Psalms 24 1. The earth is the Lord, and the fullness thereof, the world, and they that dwell therein. He owns our bodies, as we see in 1 Corinthians 6 19 and 20. What? Do you ye know not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? You're bought with a price, therefore. Glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's.
1: So, what is ours? is ultimately God's, including whatever he gives to us. But that is every bit as true here on earth as it is in heaven. And the fact that God owns whatever is mine does not mean there is no distinction between what I own and what others own. The early Christians generously regarded their possessions as not just for them but for others and shared them generously. See Acts 2, 44-45. And all that believed were together, and had all things common, and sold their possessions and goods, and parted them to all men, as every man had need. And Acts 4:32 32-35, And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart, and of one soul, neither said any of them that ought of the things which he possessed was his own, but they all had things in common.
0: And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there among them that lacked, for as many as were possessed of lands and houses, they sold them, and brought the prices of these things that they were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet, and distribution was made unto every man according to his need, but this did not negate private ownership.
1: Peter told Ananias that his property belonged to him before he sold it, and the money belonged to him after he sold it, as in Acts five four. While it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? Thou hast not lied unto men but unto God. His sin was in claiming to give to God and others what he secretly kept. While in heaven, we will no doubt delight in sharing our treasures with others. They will still be our treasures, generously given to us by God.
0: I hope you're enjoying this look into the scripture as we look and see what God had to say in his word about what heaven is like and will be like. Next week, we'll be looking at questions like...
1: Do people in heaven remember what happened on earth?
0: Do people know what's presently happening on earth?
1: Do people in heaven pray for those on earth?
0: And on the other side of the coin, we'll be discussing what's hell going to be like. Now, I haven't decided where I'm going to do that next week or the week following because it's a pretty big thing to cover. But uh, we'll decide at the end. And this week, you know, we've talked about the history of another great old song, And we've looked at some of what heaven's going to be like. Last week, I asked you if you died right now, where would you go? Are you ready for judgment? Does something inside of you make you fear death? Is God convicting you of sin in your life? Do you feel helpless? Have you thought about these things? My friend, all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. Jesus said, I come that you might know that you have eternal life, not guess, not wonder, not hope, but know without a doubt that you have eternal life. I really care about you, friend. I want you to have this assurance Next week, we will conclude our study of what it's going to be like in heaven, and we will end the discussion, perhaps the next week, about hell. Please, my dear friend, at least think about these things. They are so permanently important. Turn from your sin to Jesus. Repent. Receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. Trust in Him today for your eternal salvation.
1: Now, Glenn, how about you play softly and tenderly on the alto saxophone?
0: Sing this precious song with me, if just in your heart. Let your heart drift in prayer for those in need of Christ. Holy Spirit, quicken, convict the hearts of men. Flood this earth with revival.
1: preparing our hearts for worship podcast and today is no exception we always look at the old time hymns, the authors and events related to the writing of their songs we hope you have been informed and enjoyed yourselves our music has been distributed through the web you can hear it by searching the web for the music of Glenn Dawson
0: on some of our services you can punch the like button and we appreciate it when you do that it helps our ministry and it keeps us going. Our program is part of the Glenn Dawson Evangelistic Association. We're a nonprofit organization dedicated to sharing Jesus with everyone. We enjoy hearing from you and you can write to us on the platform if you're hearing us song, Or you can write to us at our webpage at Glen D-A, That's E-A Remember, our webpage is under construction right now and it'll be finished here pretty soon. So, as you navigate, know that there are some things that are just not quite right yet.
1: We look forward to seeing you again next week on Preparing Our Hearts for Worship. God, God be, be with, with you. you. Bye, Bye for, for now. now.